Welcome to Hong Kong Business Owners. I'm Carmen, founder of this podcast that shares inspiring stories from entrepreneurs based in Hong Kong. Whether you created your own business, thinking about doing so, or simply curious to discover business creation stories, you'll get to listen to unique business owners' journeys to learn what it takes to start a company, what the keys to success are, how to apprehend failures and challenges, and what to keep in mind when developing your own business. I hope each episode will inspire you and guide you in your current or future projects. So today in this new episode of Hong Kong Business Owners, I welcome Celine and Amit, founders of Conspiracy Chocolate, a chocolate company founded in Hong Kong in 2018. The chocolate is handcrafted from the bean to the bar using a very specific process that aims to retain the taste and benefits of the cacao. Hi both, welcome. Hello. Hey. Thanks for having us. How are you doing? Very good today. Especially for a rainy day. <laughs> uh, happy to have you here. And so to introduce you a bit more, you uh, actually work with a single farm in Vietnam. Is that correct? Yeah. And you care about your products a lot, the way you transform it. You focus on creating distinctive tasting notes in the chocolate that you make. And uh, I thought with such, a, such high quality standards, we can guess your interest for food and good products. And also, Celine, you respect nature a lot. This is something important to you. So you seem to have both strong values in what you do. And actually, Amit, you're coming from a cook family, as Celine told me. Um, and Celine, you have also a strong connection to food and flavors, um, in particular thanks to your grandma. Yeah. So can you tell me more about that and your connection with food and also how you navigated in your life, uh, whether it was in the food industry or what led you to the food industry before creating a conspiracy chocolate? Yeah. Um, so for my part, I, I grew up in Switzerland, uh, in the countryside. And my grandma was uh, from very young, putting us in the kitchen, on the kitchen counter and, and cooking with us. And she will uh, mill her own flour, create her own bread, and we would be really involved in the process and you know measuring ingredients and tasting everything along the way. So both her and, and my mom, who's also a, a very passionate cook, um, influenced us a lot in, in our desire for cooking and, and understanding food and flavors and working with different ingredients. So I think my love for, for food and, and putting ingredients together comes from, from them. Cool. What about you? Oh, uh. <laughs> now it's your turn. Yeah, okay, well, um, I, I guess I, I did grow up around a restaurant, but also my, my mom always cooked. Uh, I remember being very young and being pulled into the kitchen and being shown a cold pot on the stove just for demonstration with tomatoes, garlic, and I think it was onion or basil. And my mom said, this is the foundation to a bunch of different dishes that I like to make. So if you remember these four, these three, uh, I really should, my memory should be better. Um, from, from here, there's a lot you can do with these. They, they go a really long way, even though it's a small combination. Um, I always, I always helped in the kitchen as much as I could growing up. I think that really set me up to, to love food later on. Mm. And you were working in a restaurant before, right? 
as, as a bartender. I mean, oh, well, as, as, at 16, I, I worked in the kitchen in a, in a burger restaurant, um, but later on in a fine dining as a bartender. Mm, okay. So in both of your childhood, food was something in your family that was, you know, important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, Brings people together. Yeah. It's more than just food. Food is, is an opportunity to... Connect. Yeah, to connect, to, to put away other stuff and focus on something together. Mm. But I think we evolved as quite um, different cooking styles. I think mm. uh, when we started, we were kind of like both passionate about putting ingredients together, but you kind of like specialized in the, the nerdy side and scientific side of thing, whereas I'm more into like opening the fridge and putting flavors together that I, you know, I can imagine will go well. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good combination then. Yeah. So, Celine, you, are, you were living in Switzerland before, and you, Ahmed, you were living in Israel. I mean, you grew up in Israel. So what brought you to in Hong Kong? Because you came in Hong Kong separately. You didn't know yeah. each other at that yeah. time. Although well, rumor has it that she said heard I'm here, and then <laughs> she came over. Rumor has it. I moved to China when I was 10 with my parents, and then to here uh, at 14. Oh, okay. Hong Kong. Uh, and For me, it was most uh, accidental. I did an um, academic exchange with university and I fell in love with the city, so I, mm. I never left. And what were you doing when you came here in Hong Kong? Um, so fresh out of uni, it was very hard to find a job. Um, so I managed to get a management trainee in a Swiss company. They used to do, um, they do certification, testing, inspection. Uh, but I was rapidly put on the innovation projects. So I got to work with a young startup um, from mm. the very beginning of my career. And I got to you know, see the, the interesting innovation solution they would bring to the business world. So then I moved to um, a startup that was connecting the corporate and the startup to find a solution to be adopted by the corporate. So that's I got to working with startups quite early on. And do you think this maybe somewhere in your mind planted the seed yeah. um yeah i mean when i was looking to move out of corporate i was looking at um, different startups i could join uh, but i couldn't find one that i was ready to you know work like a like a donkey for <laughs> because i knew the startup world was hard but i i didn't find um one one startup that i could really identify with so that's why i decided to move to um a company called Nest that organized the startup accelerators that bridge the startups and the corporate world. Okay. I think it's also interesting once the, the idea is in your head, mm -hmm. once um, you can't help that every waking moment, at least 40% of your consciousness is on that baby business you just started um, to utilize what's around you and to, to form connections in, in your environment. And you, you were surrounded by really good connections in the startup world. Yeah, true. From your bosses and your colleagues and your contacts and your clients. Yeah, I think you, from from my work, I could see you know what was working, the type of personality that founders were, what they were looking at, and I wasn't really interacting with them in in the mind of like, oh, I'm growing my own business, but purely as like an interest of of their life. And they're usually serial entrepreneurs; it's not their first business of of how they grow it and how they work with clients. So I think all of this did have an impact on, on Conspiracy, yeah. Uh, one, one was direct, one impact was direct. Our first kitchen, uh, the first place we got to make chocolate legally and not at home, was... Um, uh, my colleague, yeah. Was it your colleague or yeah. your, your boss? Yeah, no, my colleague. 
uh, that was in contact with um, the, the nicest guy in FMB, Larry from Locofama, Sohofama. And he met with us and he was very supportive and he said, how can I help you guys get off the ground? And we said, we just need a place where we can make the chocolate. And he gave us a very good deal and he supported us. And I think thanks to that, we got the chance to do something maybe bigger than you would do at home. Because mm. how, how did it all start? Like you started doing this at home in your kitchen? Sitting said earlier that her cooking styles are, she's more, it's funny because these cooking styles are also opposites of our personalities in a way. Uh, Celine's approach is very intuitive to cooking. My approach is very analytical to cooking. And that's really the opposite of how we are outside yeah. <laughs> of cooking. Um, but we started picking up all these home projects that we would really get into. And it would be fresh pasta or it would be um, you know, kombucha. And we would just get into something and make it and try to maximize how good it could be for ourselves and for our friends. Because you wanted, you, you didn't know at that time you wanted to yeah. run a company together. We just, I, I mean, food is something that brought us together very early okay. on. It's, it's a passion that we that yeah, we share. Our first dates were cooking. Our first date was eating. Yeah, a lot of eating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that brought us together. And at the weekend, we would do projects where we would make a, a lasagna from scratch or pizza from scratch, and we would really go into uh, deep into these cooking projects and and. We would eat pasta for weeks because Amit needed to do it perfectly. So, <laughs> And there was so much bad pasta at the so start, I... like real bad pasta yeah, in lot. the beginning. But <laughs> we, we learned there that if you want to do anything really well, you got to start by doing it terribly. Yeah. If you can you, do it a lot. <laughs> yeah, because if you're starting off when your first version is good, then chances are you picked an avenue that everybody else can start the same way. Mm-hmm. So then we yeah. kept playing with our different approaches to all these things and when we get bored of one we pick up another one and chocolate's a lot like winemaking it's very deep there's you can fall down a rabbit hole and there's so much you can learn and it's one of those things that the more you learn the more you have access to learn more advanced stuff but they're very fine-tuning so you get kind of addicted to these details that you can add on top at least i did um, and then if if you remember the um, the big typhoon mankut the big t10 that we had here in 2018 So we, we played Typhoon Roulette with our friends and they were uh, of entrepreneurial spirit, Americans, the type that like anything immediately becomes very exciting. <laughs> and the next day we were all, thankfully it was a typhoon and we were all very hungover and we all uh, went to watch a movie at our house yeah. and we just served some chocolate that we made and they started getting us a bit excited about the idea of starting a business and just try, just sell to one person, just make a packaging, just see what happens, this could be a concept. He forced us to do a business plan, remember? Like yeah. that same day he sent us a, a business plan and it was like, start. <laughs> and we, we did that as an exercise, really like for fun as a thing to like learn from maybe. And then we went out to the street with a tray of chocolate in wow. Tainkun yeah. and we just gave strangers chocolate. And this speaks to the condensation of interesting people in Hong Kong because everyone that stopped by gave us advice, opinions told us about the business they started and sold or if we need legal advice or yeah we had a lot of life stories all, all we wanted is to get some opinion on the chocolate and we ended up uh, being invited by one person to stop by to tell chocolate at the UBS fair and then thanks to that we got our next market which was the Tong Chong Street Market and we just had more and more opportunities eventually DB yeah. to sell our chocolate in, in a public setting with people that don't are not direct friends of ours because in the beginning we sold our chocolate by weight and it had no packaging so, and we would meet people in public and it felt a lot like a drug deal <laughs> do you want the 75 gram or the 54 gram 
uh, in paper brown bags. Um, and eventually we got to the point where a shop was willing to take a chance on us. There was a shop that was run, it's a butcher shop that was run by a, a French-American chef. And we kept, it was walking distance from the kitchen that Larry let us use. So we would keep going to him and giving him what we've made. And he would say, oh, it's not good enough. Try this thing or that thing. Hmm. And eventually when we finally convinced him, when he was happy to buy it, then we realized we we're onto something and we started speaking with other shops. And, but it was never a conscious effort to scale a business until we realized that we're working too hard and it needs to either be a business or stop. Yeah, because I was about to ask you, when did you decide, okay, now we're going to switch 100% of our time on this project because you were both working yeah. apart from that? Yeah, it was a, a side project for two years, about two years? About two years. Yeah, where we would um, mainly work at the weekends. We would grind the chocolate in our house for during the week and then take it to the kitchen. So imagine uh, going to sleep with the sound of stone grinders, but then waking up with the smell of chocolate. Yeah, it was quite magical. <laughs> the guard kept coming up to our, our flat and be like, you're baking brownies again? We're like, oh, yeah, we're always baking brownies. <laughs> um, and we would take the chocolate and work on a whole, whole Sunday usually. We would invite some friends to help us. We would bring some wine and, and work until late at night. It became something that friends would come for fun to help us with. Mm -hmm. uh, we called them Oompa Loompas. It started when, when Celine went with work to Thailand for three months. Yeah. And I had to continue producing because now shops are buying from us. So uh, I just asked everybody who wants to be an Oompa Loompa and I gave them weekends and they slotted themselves in and they read the instructional PDF and they came in yeah. ready and gloves <laughs> and hairnets and everyone made chocolate for... After you came back, we kept doing this for, yeah, for a while, I think, yeah. I think about two years. Every weekend, friends would come to, and we, we had the pressure of we have the one day access to the kitchen where mm. we need to produce everything that someone's going to buy in the next week. Yeah, we so, yeah, we were making a lot of chocolate in the slowest, most manual mm. way possible, but with a lot of friends and music and wine, and you know, it was still a really nice. Wine nice. helps. Yeah. It helps, yeah. <laughs> it was fun. And but how? Oh, maybe you were about to say something. Yeah. Else. No, I was gonna say um the the way so it was a, a part time on the you know in the evening in the weekend but because of the nature of my job I was working with a, in a startup and the management was really encouraging us to have our own stuff things on the side it could be a, a business a, another activity so we were quite free and I could go out during the day and do deliveries if I had to. As long as I did my job, they were not too regarding with, with hours. Yeah. So we had that flexibility on my side that I could go out, meet people, deliver the chocolate, um, which you couldn't do with your recruitment job. Sure um, and because of the protest, my industry kind of went down in Hong Kong. Um, so they moved me to part-time, which was actually a blessing because I could spend more time on conspiracy. And then at the end of the protest, Um, my company shut down in Hong Kong and they opened in Thailand. Uh, this is where I did the program in Thailand and they asked me, do you want to move to Thailand or uh, we can't continue with you? So this mm. is... The timing worked out. The timing worked out and allowed me to move full-time to Conspiracy. And then you joined, what, a year later? No, a few... So a few months later? So beginning of 2019, you went to Thailand and you gradually transitioned to part-time between then and like the end of summer. And then you start really building out what the company is going to be in, in the middle of summer. And I was supporting from as much as you can do evenings and weekends. Yeah. But at this point, it wasn't weekends anymore. It was weekends and evenings. So every day we would finish, I would finish work, you would finish work or conspiracy and would go straight to the kitchen and spend the night there mm -hmm. with an apron over a suit, 
making chocolate. <laughs> and it was on, on weekdays because the production just had to happen. And it got to the point in November of that year where I was, I was extremely unhappy because it was planning for Christmas. So at the office until 6 p.m., which in recruitment it's unheard of to leave at 6 p.m. And then in the kitchen until 4 a.m. and then had touched the pillow and back to the office. And I realized neither, I'm, I'm not investing myself fully in either of the options. And I, I was in a good position to, to find good advice because I was uh, recommend. But my, my focus was um, management consultants going in-house. So I'd focus mainly on McKinsey, Bain, BCG, the operation on, of consulting. And these are people that deal with business strategy, long-term business strategy. So I'd have five, six meetings a day with people who are the smartest in the world at starting and growing businesses and systematic about it too. So I had all this advice of what we should do and how we would spend our time and money if we could. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was very simple or very wise, which at the time when you're, when you're small, if you follow advice, follow the really simple, broad advice. Someone told us, um, it was a McKinsey lady, she told me, focus on product and focus on sales and forget about the rest until you can afford it. Like make a good product that you're really proud of, make it the best you can possibly make it and then get people to buy it. And marketing and legal and finance and all the other stuff, let that happen. It's going to happen. And eventually you will not be able to not do that stuff, but really mm. focus on these things at the beginning. So it got to November and I was upset. And I remember there was one night I was sitting on the sofa and I actually cried. I was really, really lost. Uh, I spoke with some friends and I thought, okay, it's peak COVID and I know how much annual leave is built up in Hong Kong. Bonus money is being given out this year. And people want to go and spend it on, on taking care of themselves and getting away. Mm-hmm. So I can find a transition by doing a small project that's going to bring a bunch of money that I can use to quit my job. So I wanted to, to open up a pop-up bed and breakfast with fine dining and find everything. The best tea, the best uh, swimming pool, the best food in the fridge in the middle of the night, the, the best like everything, just a super luxury, low-key bed and breakfast outside of town. And a good friend of mine was ready to do this. It didn't take any convincing to get her on board. But by the time we found, because uh, this is, again, peak COVID, so we struggled. By the time we found a good place, it was too late to sell tickets to something that ambitious. Um, and and she's, she's a food designer. She's got a space that uh, she hosts private meals. So she said, why don't we just turn it into a dinner in my place? I said, okay, let's, let's just try this thing because I wasn't re- ready to let go of the menu we wrote and all that stuff. And it ended up being a private kitchen called Otium that we started that winter and that gave me just enough to quit the job on because you had part-time. Yeah. Um, and then we did another series in the spring that was just enough so we don't need to get paid for a few months. Yeah. And it, if I still had a job, I'd be so happy with having made all that money. But in reality, it was, it was survival money. It was how many months of mm. bare necessities we can, we can make on this. And it, it bought us almost yeah. uh, six yeah. months, about six months of getting to focus on the business. Yeah, yeah we really went uh, into this business without any investment. So we, we just invested our any own savings, money. And, any, yeah, that, that anything really, another, we fell into it. <laughs> that was another of my questions for later, but yeah. Yeah, about the, the funding yeah. you, you don't do much of keeping money in your bank account in Hong Kong 25 year olds in Hong wow. Kong like to enjoy themselves and I, I was doing that at the time so I didn't have any like big amount to cushion on but I did realize at 23 that because of all the advice around me 
to put something aside. So if I do take a risk later on in life, I have mm-hmm. something aside. So we did that knowing that at least uh, a little bit of it is saved. Mm. Uh, but when we went in, it was with zero. Yeah, with zero. We had the, we had some help from family to buy uh, one machine, mm. one bigger machine, and the rest was all yeah self-funded. And so you told me about the people who gave you advice and uh, strategic also advice. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the very operational, like chocolate is very, you said it's like wine. It's very, there's a technique and it's very, yeah, it's very complicated. You have to be knowledgeable about it. So how did you learn all the stuff to make chocolate? I can expand that question to a two part. Chocolate is one part, but you said operational. There's a lot of stuff that is not strategic, but operational in a company that you have to learn. And both of those things were things we had to learn very quickly in that first year. Um, Chocolate-wise? Chocolate-wise, yeah. I, I went back home to, to Switzerland and I did a course um, on how to transform the, the chocolate from the bean to the bar from a, a famous uh, chocolate factory there. Because at the beginning, uh, when we first started playing around with chocolate, what we would do is we would melt um, some existing chocolate bars because what we wanted to focus on is, is flavor. So we wanted to bring spices and herbs from savory cooking into chocolate to really explore chocolate as a canvas so at the beginning we would add chili rosemary cumin into chocolate and then we would give that to our friends Um, so after going to switzerland and learning the process when i came back i told amit we need to order some beans Uh, we need to order a very small countertop machine, two kilo batch. This is still at the hobby level. We were still thinking this is a hobby at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we had we wanted to do it properly from the start. So from the start, we ordered some cacao beans uh, from a distributor in the U.S. that sources from smallhold farmers, uh, very good quality cacao beans, and we played around with with what I've learned with what we could find on the internet. It's a very open community, so people are very open to share their recipes. Uh, because even if you use the same cacao as someone else, your recipe will be ultimately different. Mm-hmm. Your conditions will be different. The time you run the machines will be slightly different. And the product at the end will be somehow different. Yeah. I could say it's a combination of science and art. And you can yeah. learn the science from somebody else. But it's intertwined with your version of the art. Like anything else art-related, you can't copy somebody else. You can, but then you're always going to be 80% of what they're doing. So there are, there are people that copy each other, but they're not going to be able to be, to be thought leaders in, in F&B. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, we realized that quite early on. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of our own experimentation, a lot of note-taking, a lot of comparing. Um, then we, we kind of developed what we like, and in parallel, we read a lot, and we uh, interviewed people that do chocolate, because that's what I learned in my last job, is to interview people. Mm-hmm. So I'd call up chocolate makers and ask them lots of questions. I'd call up chefs and ask them how to use the chocolate. Uh, some of the advice I got in the beginning was to not be afraid to do very guerrilla style m- market studies. And we went to chocolate shops and just start rapid fire questioning the person that works there. And we started doing um, testing on ourselves and what yeah. attracts us to a shelf, to a chocolate bar, to ma- reading on the packaging, to just what made things attractive and then also in the flavor realm. It was, uh, a lot of, it was a lot of tasting along the way. Like yeah. when we roasted at the beginning in our oven, we had to, every five minutes, we had to taste the beans, see if we liked it. Like there was so many experimentations, mm-hmm. so many components we had to play with to, to find the right recipe. I see the advantage of starting small in small batches. You can put small changes in every batch. And as long as you're taking notes on 
your changes, you yeah. can learn a lot. So after a month of doing that, we had a good idea of these things. Yeah. And when we did our research, we, we tried to understand, first and foremost, what products are attractive to a professional, to an amateur, to someone that just walks into a shop, what people buy for themselves, mm -hmm. what people like to gift. And we realized that in chocolate, most people buy plain chocolate for themselves and flavored chocolate for their friend. And so we started doing both, something that you could buy for yourself that you would really love. And then we also started doing fun flavors that would remind people of a culinary direction or classics like salt and caramel or stuff that brought us here, like that we love about local cuisine, like Sichuan peppercorn. Yeah. I mean, I think we did flavors mainly for ourselves <laughs> because we're curious and, yeah. and we come from the yeah. savory cooking. So we, we wanted to play around with ingredients and see how it played in chocolate. And we had so many flavors that we tested and didn't release because it yeah. didn't make sense, but we were just interested in trying. But have you witnessed difference of, because in Hong Kong, maybe there are cultural differences, I mean, in terms of taste and what people like. I'm sure in Europe, people eat different chocolate, like the flavors they like the best are different than here. So you told me that you focus also on what you two like, yeah. which makes sense. But do you also have this in mind? This, we have to, yeah. This is a good thing. There is an insane amount of variability in the palates in Hong Kong. Yeah. People here grew up with so many different... So every time we do a tasting, there's <laughs> at, at least three or four countries being represented. Some people are mixes. Some people grew up in a different country to where they're from. And people here have no fear to put down chopsticks and pick up a fork. There is no barrier in crossing cuisines. So we can mix cuisines. Like we have a miso and pine nut chocolate. We put oolong tea inside chocolate, which mm. is very localized flavor. But because people think of chocolate as European and oolong as Asian, that's just not been tested. So we're in a good place in the right time where Asia is discovering fine chocolate and we, we get to be one of the leaders along the way but there's a lot of low-hanging fruit as far as stuff that's clearly really really good that's just not being tasted yet ingredients people like here so we do three things we do classic traditional European style stuff caramel hazelnut all that we do local flavors that things that pair nicely into chocolate, but we do our best to protect them from being Europeanized in the cooking. We have a local chef that is very familiar with traditional food here. And when we use a local ingredient, we use it the way that they do in Cantonese cuisine. And then thirdly, we do crazy flavors that are just a bit weird and fun and they're a conversation starter. If people bring it to a party or mm. uh, if they want to look at our shop and go, oh, I can't not try this flavor because <laughs> it sounds so insane. But how many flavors did you develop? How many do you have now? If you look at a recipe book, you'll find probably close to 100 at this point. Oh, wow. But things that we have out in the market, there's probably about 30, and we, we seasonalize them. Yeah, but yeah I, was ab I was about to ask you, which ones are the like, best sellers? And also, do you need to adapt to seasonality over the year? Seasonality yeah. makes a big difference in what people crave. In general, people crave a lot more chocolate in the winter. We also follow the holidays. So for Christmas, we yeah. would do something like maple pecan or we made a flavor that tastes like the smell of um, pine tree, the Christmas mm -hmm. tree. Uh, but for Chinese New Year, for example, we released mala peanut. So chili, numbing peanut chocolate and tangerine, aged tangerine peel. So we have to kind of customize to, to the holiday. For Easter, we would do Easter eggs. 
But the good thing about Hong Kong is that you have holidays from all over the place, right? You have European holiday, Western holiday, Hong Kong holiday, Eastern mm-hmm. holiday, you, you name it. So many different holidays. So we get to be very creative with those. And actually, you asked about our bestsellers. It's actually quite funny. If you look at our bestsellers, it's such a mix. There's no one direction in it. Bestseller is always salt and caramel. It's not the most exciting chocolate bar to us, but... It was our first flavor as well. Yeah, before we... Not just the first flavor we made. Before we made chocolate, it was our go-to. That's what we would buy all the time. Second bestseller is Sichuan peppercorn. Yeah. Which is, honestly, a weird flavor in chocolate. And in the same list is also miso and pine nut. In that same list is also hazelnut. Yeah. It's it's a bit of everything. It's the it's the crazy, it's the local, and it's the western all in one. And I think that also represents Hong Kong really well. Yeah, a good mix of yeah. everything in many cultures. And where do you se- do you have selling points? Do you have shops? Because you were talking about pop up stores. Yeah, we. I mean, we have our website where you can find the whole collection. But do you sell more online or and also corporate or? Mo- mostly, it's restaurants and bars. Okay. They they yeah, use their in, uh, fine dining and cocktail bars. They um, they understand the concept and they're able to tell the story really well on a plate or in a cocktail. We we have resellers actually as as, as of today. <laughs> yeah, as of today. As of today, we're in City Super. Uh, we're in uh, Feather and Bone. We're in Whiskey Library. Um, Whiskey Library is awesome because the staff know the chocolate so deeply, and they know what pairs with which bottles, not just the whiskeys, everything. And then in winter, we try to do a, a pop-up of our own where we can Every sell um, directly to customers, yeah, with some cool specials as well. Yeah, we're still planning this one. one oh, for this winter coming. The coming uh, winter. We, we did it past winter ah, and the winter okay. before as well. Yeah. Okay. But are you thinking about opening your flagship store one day? Mm, a store, probably not. More likely FMB. More likely a cafe, a cafe or with a some sort cocktail of a, bar. Yeah. We like the concept that has a, a, a coffee shop in front and some sort of a chocolate production yeah. at the back where you have the yeah. window and you can see the, how you make the chocolate. It's quite educational as well. Mm-hmm. So that's something we have in the back of our mind. So over time, there's a, you, you've been working so much <laughs> since the beginning. So did you have at some point to grow your company and hire people? How yeah. many people did you, do you have? Right now it's the two of us and two chefs and okay. two part-timers and we're actually considering a round of hiring soon. The, the chefs we have are, are incredible, we're, we're so lucky to have them. Um, one, her name is Zara, she's local, she cooks at Okra, she's a Kiki Sakishi, it's a sake sommelier. She's mm-hmm. very good with the fine flavors, the gentle flavors, the notes within a flavor. She has endless patience, she's just insanely yeah, talented at developing new things and at fine-tuning stuff. And the other one, Andre, he's been my friend for many years. It took a lot of work to convince him to join us. He cooked in New York, in Mireya, in other famous restaurants. Uh, he was a butcher in a very high-end place before. And he knows the best practices across all types of food. Yeah, okay. And what are the other part-time... Helping in the kitchen. Oh, okay. And so how do you divide work between you two? Like uh, chaos. <laughs> and also, second question, how is it to work as a couple? I think I'll, I'll open this with, uh, we're lucky that we're incredibly different and we care That's about true. very different things and we have very different focuses. So it's made it easier for us to cooperate when there's something that Celine cares about that I don't, something I care about and Celine doesn't. It's funny enough, the more similar you are, the bigger the amount of stuff you both care about 
the more difficult it is to agree on stuff because you both want to have input. Yeah. But I, I trust you blindly when it comes to the way things look. And I think that allows me to let to let go of, of certain things. Yeah, I think from the very beginning we gave each other uh, veto powers based on, on our skills. So I'm more a um, project manager, uh, I do design, fell into marketing, and you're more on the people side. Um, and sales, you're really good at sales. So we had kind of like those distinction, mm. but also we were quite humble that from the start, um, none of us knew what to do. Uh, we were both going into this blind, so there's no right way to do it. So we, you know, helped each other navigate and try and find the best path. But ultimately, we both have to be on the same page and, and try it. And you also have to be very humble to realize that at some point, if it's not working, you need to you need to switch. You need to pivot, mm. try something else. And realize that early, otherwise you you make mistakes, you waste mm. money and time. And what's your um, what's your relationship to uh, failure? Because this is something, you know, with entrepreneurs, you need to be okay with that. Also, it depends on the culture. Like yeah. in France, failure is like whoa, it's a mistake and it's bad. it's bad. Yeah. Um, so how do you see that? Well, we were in Hong Kong and we opened, we went to market during the protest and we thought what could be worse and then we were hit with a global pandemic. So the fact we are still here, the fact that our company is still alive, I, I don't know many others from our generation that haven't failed since then. I consider it a win even though the growth has been far slower than we wanted and there's been a lot of disappointment along the way. Yeah. A lot of times, for example, a big contract was going to come in and then it doesn't and it's no one's fault, it's just COVID. And so we, we got pretty used to things falling apart early mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. and to our targets not being always met that we shoot for the stars and if we reach the moon, that's pretty good. And we just accept that we got to keep trying, keep trying. And the more experience we have, the bigger our network, the more people know about us, the further away we get from COVID, <laughs> the, uh, the more likely our stuff is to work. And the important thing is to stay in the game and to not get hurt and to, and to yeah. keep keep playing the game and keep trying new stuff because the moment you forget it's a game you stop playing and you stop having fun and then people see it and the magic is not there anymore uh, mm -hmm. people are is drawn to the next thing you'll do because they think it's just another way to make money the way we sometimes feel about big companies when they pivot but it's just the same thing in new packaging mm -hmm. um, yeah. whereas people I trust that the next thing we're going to do is come out of passion yeah, so you gotta exactly. keep that going. I think I think enjoying what you do is is key because we've we've had many challenges and along the way we we wondered sometimes should we just close and, and stop and do something. Our families else. like to remind us of that <laughs> option yeah, very often. There is an option, <laughs> um, but then we ask ourselves: Do we still you know love what we do and do we still want to wake up every day and push this forward? And the answer so far mm. has still been yes. And we see still there is growth in front of us and there is much more we can do, so we keep, we keep pushing. It's funny how your social life changes when you mm. start having a, a certain goal and it, it, it didn't happen on purpose, it just suddenly we were surrounded with entrepreneurs, which we didn't know any before. And like you'd meet them in the most random ways, but because you have something in common, people would stay in touch. Yeah. And then that was helpful, but we still wanted more experience around the company. So we've approached people that we have no way to work with, that they're, they're successful, they're powerful, they've achieved big things. And we asked them to be our advisors at the start. And that was very humbling. So even this in itself, this approach in itself, was given to us by people with a lot of experience who told us, you think failing once sucks? Try failing seven times. Mm -hmm. Try failing with a business you put all of your life savings into. 
and how their failures only push them to try something different. And hearing that over and over and over yeah. at the start is just a game. You just need to keep playing. Um, failing is a lesson. If you fail, fail in a way where you learn from it, where you can keep playing the game tomorrow. This is stuff that we're very happy to have learned in yeah. the beginning. Yeah. Mm, you, seem, you seem very aligned on this, uh, on many things, actually. Um, so I'm wondering, the people, you, you talked about the chef you're working with, they seem amazing, like how, how you describe them. So how do you share the same interests and the same values? Because you're so aligned, so how do you work with the people in your team? Before we hire the person, we set out, I like to align to hire people that what they want to do in the next few years just aligns with what we need. So the ones whose mission in their life is aligned with ours, whose sustainability is a huge part of what they want to do. We, we would meet these people and eventually meet someone that it just clicks mm -hmm. and it would set expectations with them early on. And ideally they will bring also something new. I mean, it's, it's hard to find, you can't really find a chocolate maker in, in Hong Kong. It, it doesn't exist. But you can find other skills that, you know, complement what we have mm. and what we've built and help the business grow further as well. So I think in our team, we're very horizontal in structure. You know, it's not just the two of us giving orders. We're very collaborative. We like to brainstorm all together how we can do this. We, we're trying to be very transparent or where we are, especially as a small business. It's very important to know for your employees to know where you are, you know, because it's a bit more risky as a, mm -hmm. as a type of, of employment um, so we try to be very transparent and very inclusive as well to take their feedback and, and so we, we meet with them grow. once a week with everybody and we say this is the focus of this week this is the focus of this quarter this is what we achieved last week what we try to do as well is to make a, a team challenge we try to run this once a month and it's either one of us who decide to teach uh, the, the rest of the team a new skill or we learn a skill together. So maybe we would, you know, watch a video and then try and apply it. And we would make it into like a little competition of like who can make the, the best uh, Christmas bonbon, who can make the best design or come up with this crazy flavor. And we would like every person can learn the skill and present it at the end. And we would do a little comparison and tasting. And So cool. Well, it's, it's not really a question, but I'm just reflecting on what you were saying that the, you have this uh, you keep the same values in, in this mindset and you sh you communicate a lot with the people you work with and you trust also people and just I'm thinking it's can be difficult as your company grows to keep that yeah it would be difficult yeah um, I mean this, this was a statement not a question yeah, yeah. it's just a statement it's really yeah, difficult yeah. The, the way to systemize it is to keep leaders in the company that remember this vision and that we check with them to maintain this vision because this to me is, is a big part of what makes us successful and it's the, one of the easiest parts to water down. Once there's too many people, they each need to have a personal mission. I want a team that sees themselves as hardworking geniuses and so they invest in themselves, they invest in their training and as a result, a small amount of people can do a lot. And they have their ownership and they care and they're willing to push themselves uh, further. Like our chef now wants to run events and it's wow. great because she can run events in Cantonese, you know, so it also helps the business to grow into different directions. Mm. Very inspiring. Uh, thanks for sharing all of that. Now let's go on to uh, the last question. Do you have anything that you would like to tell to other entrepreneurs Or people who are thinking about it but still hesitant? Do you have tips or, or things you learn and you would like to share with them? 
you need advisors. You need people that are excellent at every part because then you're guessing so much without them. And you want people who are strong enough to hold you accountable, strong enough to push you when you're doing something wrong. They're bold enough to tell you when you're being stupid. Uh, not people who are biased and they're your friends. Ideally, avoid friends actually in this. If you can make successful people feel very good by being a coach or mentor, use that, but uh, really rely on, on support. Hong Kong is a small place. It's got an amazing network. We had so much help coming yeah. up, not just advisors. At the beginning, we actually we were really surprised on, on how people are willing to help us. We had no idea of how to bring cacao beans uh, to Hong Kong, for example, the first shipment. And we just found someone, I think it was someone on LinkedIn or, or someone who we knew from work. Um, we just contacted him and he was like, no problem, you can use my DHL account. Uh, we just didn't know the guy. We, we reached out to him and asked him for help and he... He met us like in the hour and gave us his DHL. Yeah, have, have passion about what you're doing because no one's going to help you if you don't. I think it's a big one. Yeah. Don't get scared of the big stuff. The big stuff, you, you get to them one by one. Have different people in your team, like very, very, very different people with different personalities because you can figure anything out as long as you care enough. I, I cannot care enough about certain things. Celine cannot care enough about other things. Yeah. You, you need that, you need that variety. Yeah, we're complementary. Yeah, diversity. Yeah. It's huge, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, those were very good advice, I think. Will inspire <laughs> other people than me. <laughs> Thank you both very much for being here today. Um, it was a pleasure to have you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Um, and can you tell people where we can find out more about Conspiracy Chocolate? You can find us at conspiracychocolate.com or on Instagram and Facebook, Conspiracy Chocolate as well. Very easy. And yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. It was really fun. Really, yeah. <laughs> oh, and you can find our, our chocolate in those shops that we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Say it again. Just oh, uh, City Super, uh, Feather and Bone, Whiskey Library, Bookazine, um, well, a, a bunch of good quality boutiques. Oh, and if, if you're like me oh, and yeah. a big food nerd and you like to read about food science, especially around chocolate, but not only around chocolate. Uh, I, I do deep dives on things like sugar, on things like sauces or whatever in, in my blog in, in, on our website. It's called The Chocolate Lab. So if you cool. uh, don't mind too many words. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll add all the links in the description of the episode so everybody can have access. Um, thank you, listeners. I hope you liked today's business story. If you're thinking about running your own business, you might now be one step closer to doing so. Don't forget to leave me five stars and follow me on Instagram at hk.businessowner. See you in two weeks for a new business story. Bye.